0: To the Witchy Historian. I am Crystalina May, your host, The Witchy Historian, uh, and today we are going to talk about the Black Death. I am going to preface this episode with a trigger warning, content warning for discussions about disease, death, xenophobia anti-semitism attempted genocide sometimes successful genocide and a bunch of other gross shit so if you are sensitive to any of these topics also self-mutilation self-harm things like that so if you are sensitive to any of these topics please listen with caution all of that being said i have some updates so i am in the works with a friend of mine who is doing some really amazing things um and we are working on putting together a yule collab for our top tier patreons our patreon patreons patrons However, however we call the, the patrons, patrons over on the Patreon, our top dear Patreons. We are working on a, a Yule collab for that. So I will keep you updated as we develop a plan and I'm super excited about this. Um, this person is an incredible inspiration and, and just an, a really amazing person and I'm very, very excited to be able to work with them. And as I've been doing lately, we are going to go ahead and do a current event check-in. I'm not going to talk about anything specific this week. Um, I just want to remind all of you to remember to register to vote. Voting day is the second Tuesday of the first Tuesday second t- t- <laughs> second Tuesday of November. So make sure your registration is up to date make sure you know what issues are on your ballot who is actually on your ballot who is running don't avoid the polls just because it's not a presidential election or a major midterm these elections count too they're really important so please please get out and vote your voice matters this is how we make a difference The only election that has an electoral vote is the presidential election. All other votes are a one-for-one vote, so please get out and vote. This is how we make change. This is how we make our voices heard. This is how we protect our youth from anti-trans legislation, anti-CRT legislation, which is just absolutely asinine the people who are uh, pushing this type of legislation do not even know what they are fighting against they are making claims that are entirely false so get educated on your issues get out there and vote make your voices heard for me there's a lot that's been going on i won't go into too much detail but there's been a lot of loss and a lot of stress in the family and things going on i'm still pushing through i'm still here i'm still in grad school i'm still writing a thesis but please send vibes i would very much appreciate it and any any good feels would be great and hey you know if you wanna wanna join the patron the patreon (laughs) so i can buy myself some extra coffee a little bit here and there that'd be great (laughs) Of course, no obligation. I will continue to be here whether you join the Patreon or not. But I will say that that does make this a little bit easier on me. So for those of you who've already joined, I greatly, greatly appreciate you. You are a huge part of why this this continues to be possible. So thank you. All right. Moving on to the calendar of the day. Today, because, you know, life is crazy and last week was rough. Today is Sunday, October 8th happy indigenous people's day a day early so i want to give honor to indigenous peoples and my ancestors specifically today Uh, but calendar of the day sunday october 8th it is libra season it is a great time for some balance for some reevaluation making sure that things are where they belong in your life pluto saturn neptune uranus and Jupiter are all still in retrograde. However, on October 11th, the post-shadow period will begin and it's a big one. It's a thick boy. So Pluto will be moving into a stationary position to start going direct on October 11th. November 4th, Saturn moves into the post-shadow period. December 6th, Neptune goes post-shadow, and right around that same time at the beginning of December is when Mercury will be going pre-shadow. Mercury goes retrograde on December 13th. Chiron and Jupiter go post-shadow starting December 27th and December 31st, respectively. So the next few months are going to get real weird. And it's probably not going to ease up till about mid January, but we're going to be okay. We know what's coming. We can prepare for it and move forward. The imagery that is on today's calendar is the tarot card, Judgment. This card symbolizes an awakening, redemption, reincarnation, renewal, and transition. It shows how actions affect others and encourages writing past misdeeds. So this is a really great time to go hand in hand with that Libra energy, reflection, reevaluation, making sure that you're on the right path. Alright, are you all ready for some Black Death talk? So, I want to let you all know the kind of timeline we're working with here. So. The Black Death really starts moving into Eastern Europe in 1346, but we don't really start talking about it until 1347. So I'll be talking about mostly the 47 to 50 range, but we have mentions of it in primary sources. Going back as far as late 1345, and as far forward as 1353. So this is a pretty big chunk of time, but the official kind of bookends for that is 1346 to 1353. So that's the window that we're working with there is about to seven years of time. So during this time, there is a huge growth of cities that had occurred. Centralization of the city state especially in places like France, Spain, Italy, and England. That's on the rise. People are starting to move into cities. And this metropolitan life starts to get a little overcrowded. And with no modern plumbing um, and there's very little sanitation, some areas have like official sanitation services, But they're starting to get a little overwhelmed, right? The streets, especially side streets and areas where poor or poor or the working poor, the lower classes where they lived, they're often kind of littered with food waste and human waste and things like that. So obviously, these areas are starting to attract pests, especially rats, mice, and when you have rats rats bring fleas if you know anything about the black death it was carried in by fleas and rats however another factor that kind of plays into this is that international trade was also increasing and with this trade on these trade routes came new exotic plants and animals that the elites often viewed as status symbols, and so they would collect and transport these foreign plants and animals back to Europe through these trade lines. So there's a lot of back and forth. There's introduction of new types of like flora and fauna, fur friends, and things like that. But they didn't arrive alone, right? They brought new types of parasites, insects, and other diseases that didn't have natural predators and that we didn't have immunity to, that human beings in those areas of Europe did not have natural immunity to. So cities, population expansion, trade, and political power, they all combine to create a perfect storm of circumstances that allowed the Black Death to become a massive pandemic. So, of course, this disease goes by many different names, the Black Death, the plague, the great mortality. But whatever you call it, we know now through years of research, the Black Death is one of the most researched areas of history and sociology we know that it killed approximately 30 to 40% of the european population and it also impacted parts of africa, india, the middle east and east asia. worldwide, it killed about 200 million people. Of course, all of these est- all of these numbers are estimates based on records, sources, things like that. At this time, most people We're not writing or reading or making records. So we have to base this off of the very little amounts of information that we can glean from state records and from churches and things like that. But our overall estimate of the world population at this time was about 500 million people, an approximate death rate of 200 million, so approximately about 30 to 40%. So the plague itself, the Black Death, likely originated where the Eurasian steep meets the Gobi Desert in what we now call modern-day Mongolia. At the time, the Silk Roads had kind of been recreated and there had been a lot of treaties put in place, such as the Pax Mongolica. Um, And so these trade routes overland, and through sea actually ended up exploding. And these had been used in ancient times between Eastern Europe, the Middle East, and Asia, but they actually were rekindled to make longer trade routes and linked up with European trade routes. And they ran straight through this region where it is believed the plague originated. In 1266, there was an invasion into the city of Kaffa, which is in current modern day Ukraine. The Mongols and the Khanate of the Golden Horde were pushing west, and Kaffa and the city of Tana were on opposite ends of the Black Sea. So, allegedly, a Muslim was attacked and killed by an Italian man in Tana, and that sparked a brawl in the city there, which caused the Mongols to siege the city and fought against the Kaffa residents, the Kaffa sailors that were there doing trade, who fought valiantly, but when they were unsuccessful, they tried to flee. As they fled, The Mongols pursued them, bringing their Tartar arms with them. However, as all of this is happening on the north end of the Black Sea, the cities, the port cities all up and down the shores there, had already been having tales of a strange illness that were spreading west. So, by 1347, which is when this brawl. Broke out in Kaffa, it had already begun to infect the Crimean peninsula, and by the time it reached Kaffa, it wiped out the Mongol army. So the Khan actually ordered several of the bodies to be flung over the wall at the city of Kaffa. The rats and the fleas that had brought the plague, well, they followed the stench of the bodies. However, when this happened, the disease that had already been spreading toward the peninsula there and other Eastern European areas had already been dealing with the plague since about the mid mid 1346. So about a year before the Golden Horde and their Tartar allies had engaged in biological warfare. So while some have said in the past that the, the Khan and the Mongol Golden Horde were the cause of the spread of the plague into Europe. Historically, it was already spreading before this skirmish happened. It's just not true. Was this still biological warfare? Absolutely. Did it help it spread faster? Probably, but it is not the sole reason for why it spread in the first place. It had already been moving through parts of, you know, ports along the Black Sea, and it had reached Sicily in September of 1347, and we will actually see these people from Kaffa reach Sicily in October of 1347, but we'll get to that in a little bit. So... What is the plague? What, what, what is the Black Plague? Why have we not seen it again? Um, what's going on with this thing? Why is it? Why was it so potent? And why did it virtually disappear after this period of time? So the Black Plague is a very potent bacteria that was transmitted via rats and fleas. And this bacteria is called Yersinia pastis. It was carried on very specific types of rats called black rats who are native to Asia all parts of Asia not just China let's be very clear about that they are very small compared to what we typically see here in the United States or in parts of Europe the brown rat or the gray rat they're very very small and they're extremely fertile a couple of two rats a paired couple mating consistently for about three years can create this is a statistic that i found while i was researching this can create a horde of three million rats with no other interference they are extremely resilient to any type of trapping or Poison. They are resilient to water traps. They're resilient in fire. They're extremely intelligent. They find escape routes. They are immune to many of the diseases that are carried by fleas. So these are the rats that we're dealing with. The fleas themselves, they're the ones that are actually spreading the disease. The rats were not spreading the disease, but they were carrying the fleas into. The area. So the fleas, they're munching on the rats, right? They munch on the rat. The rat's infected with this plague, but they don't get sick, right? So it doesn't matter to them. So then the flea gets this in their system. They don't get infected. They become carriers, but what it does is it blocks them from processing food. So the fleas running around, it's munching on rats, cats, dogs. But when they're, when there's so many fleas, what do they do? They start munching on people, right? They can live on hair, on corpses, or even without a host for up to a month. They do not have to be in a living host for up to a month. These particular fleas that carry this strain of plague are incredibly resilient again the bacteria itself once it once it, it gets inside the flea like i said it blocks them from recognizing their hunger cues and it prevents them from processing food so this makes these fleas who are already a little on the ferocious side it makes them incredibly hungry and they get vicious. So they are leaping fleas. So they're leaping from animal to animal to human. They'll bite multiple times instead of just once. And this is because the bacteria is not letting them process food. They're not getting anything in their stomach. So what they're doing is they're just regurgitating the bacteria back out every time they bite. So this is giving multiple doses of the bacteria every single time they bite. The plague itself is a strain of the bubonic plague, so Yersinia pestis. It is a bacteria, it is not a virus, and it reproduces inside the human body very aggressively. It invades organs and specifically targets your lymphatic system, And it's extremely adaptive. So usually when something gets in your lymphatic system, your immune system goes into overdrive and kicks it out right away, but it's extremely adaptive. So it is really good at hiding itself within your immune system, aka your lymph nodes. At the time, of course, antibiotics were not a thing. There was no knowledge of germs germ theory how they were spread hygiene was virtually non-existent so this type of extremely virulent germ was virtually unstoppable so Kafka gets ravaged any survivors fled on boat but they're taking the rats with them they can't get rid of like they can't stop the rats from boarding the ship so the rats are coming with them and with them come the fleas And they go to every great mediterranean port that is on the primary trade route now previously leading up to this about the 10 or 15 years prior to this there were a series of eco disasters that had kind of ravaged europe along with a bunch of war and a bunch of other stuff that we've kind of covered a little bit, having to do with sociopolitical things and religion and all of these strange changes and people were very suspicious of each other. There was a lot of xenophobia and especially towards Muslims and to the Jewish population, there was a lot of anti-Semitism. But I wanna kind of circle back to the eco disasters for a second. Drought, famine, Heavy rains, weird extra yield years, and then no yield years. And it was just a very, very strange time. This impacted rat migration. And it brought these rats in in droves, who again are carrying the fleas that are spreading this disease. In summer of 1347, the ships leave Kaffa. The first one lands in Constantinople. That city lost 50 to 70% of its population. Again, every statistic that I quote here is a, a very good estimate based on sources, records, and historical research over the last, really the last about 100 years of research that historians have really been digging into this. There is some of this specifically in Constantinople, that is recorded by a court scholar named Demetrios Kydrins, something like that. I can't read Greek, it's fine. Um, But he records how the city was taken over and how people were just dying in droves and there were bodies stacked up everywhere. And people were just in a panic and it came out of nowhere from constantinople the plague travels across land and goes up through the baltics so up through romania bulgaria that kind of area and down through asia minor so we're talking turkey um the kind of slavic areas into that area in october of 1347 so a month after the first case is recorded in Sicily, the ships that are already infested with dead bodies and sick people coming from Kaffa, they're inspected at the ports in Sicily and they're turned away. But a third of the population there gets infected and they die. From there, it travels through the island of Sicily, it crosses the Strait, and it goes up the Italian boot into Rome and Florence. In November of 1347, we have a ship that lands in Genoa, where we lost about 30 to 40% of the population of 90,000 people. Marseilles, another 30 to 40%, also in November of that year. And this is the major entry point into France for the plague. In January of 1348 we have our first case in Avignon. And Avignon is absolutely ravaged. This is where the pope is living. He is terrified and his the papal doctor actually comes down with the plague, but he ends up using a series of remedies not sure how exactly he survived but he ends up lancing every single one of his boils that pops up and he survives and he uses the this technique to treat everyone around the Pope he tells the Pope to quarantine the entire Popple City shuts down they don't let anyone in and the Pope survives against all odds. Also in January of that year, Venice, which had a population of 120,000 people with a 60% death rate. All entering ships into Venice were seized, searched, and all of the, anyone with any sign of even a single person showing a sign of disease, that whole ship is burned. All the people on it, all the goods, everything. Everyone who's coming in a 40-day quarantine is implemented they put everyone on an island who needed a quarantine they put them on a separate island outside of venice until their quarantine was up if they survived they could come back if, if all of the signs of the disease were gone because of this intense high level of death rate the 60 percent death rate there's huge networks of people market systems and economy and businesses and things it completely falls apart and if you've ever been to venice or you know anything about venice it is a city that's run completely on waterways so you need somebody to run those boats you need somebody to run the ferries you you have to have a transportation system and if you don't have a system and you, everybody's avoiding each other and everyone's afraid to be around each other and that falls apart everything devolves into chaos so at one point the government officials in venice had to invoke martial law in order to restore order Florence, by this point, was already ravaged by war and drought, and from previous episodes we know that there were a lot of political tensions going on in this part of Italy at the time. There was a population of about hundred thousand people in Florence when the Black Death arrived in the spring of 1348, and the symptoms of the illness here created intense panic and riots. death rate. And in Florence, they started digging huge trenches and filling them with the corpses. And they would sprinkle a layer of soil between each layer of bodies because there wasn't room for all of the soil. And when the fall rains came, it just washed all the soil away. And all of those decomposing bodies were just exposed again. All that disease and stench So this provided a diseased, foul, rotting food source for more rats and fleas, dogs and pigs. And the entire city was just a squelch of death. In Paris, the average death rate was about 50%. And in England, the average city rate death was 55%. European city death rates were 33% on average, but in England specifically, the city rates were 55%. Some cities and towns had death rates between 80 and 90%. Some um, of those areas would literally just stack bodies and burn them due to running out of space and time. They didn't have time to bury their dead. They had to get rid of the bodies. In England specifically, they got hit with the double whammy of the pneumonic plague, the pneumonic version of the plague coming through in the winter and then being followed immediately by the bubonic version in the spring. And in 1349, it moved to the north of the British Isles. Around the same time, uh, Castile, the kingdom of Castile, attempted to take back Granada in late 1349. But because of the plague, it killed their armies. They got infected on the road. Their armies all got wiped out. So this left the Reconquista, which we'll hear more about down the road, That left that to be done 150 years later. So Spain was not unified until the 1500s because of the plague. In Milan and Poland, however, the death rates are much, much lower. However, um, the practices there were kind of horrific and this is why they were so successful at kind of metting the damage So if anyone showed symptoms, they would make them go into their homes and they would literally wall them inside with anyone that lived in their household with them. And they would literally just leave them to die. And they would leave those homes walled up and they would not open them. So this stopped the spread of illness, but it also ended up probably killing people who were very innocent young families and things that perhaps didn't even have the plague, but they were literally bricked into their homes. So in Milan, the death rate was only 15%. And in Poland, I did not get a specific number. I could not find a specific number, but it was much, much lower. So the plague was spreading in a very unique way. And so some historical scientists have done some work to understand how the plague worked in order to understand why it was infecting people so quickly, how it killed so many people. So the incubation period that we're working with here is from exposure one to seven days. Asymptomatic spread, so spreading it without symptoms, even if you were only exposed a few hours before and you had no time to even get sick, you could already be spreading it. There were three forms of the Black Death. The first one was the bubonic form, which is the least fatal. Extremely, extremely infectious. It had a 60% death rate, and this was the least fatal version. started with fever and then you would get a cough, fatigue, and that cough would then turn bloody. And the descriptions that we have are of people having a vile stench. There were descriptions of these people having a vile stench that would come from their body because their stems, their organs were literally going necrotic. They were rotting from the inside out. Their lymph nodes would get very swollen. So their armpits, their neck, their chest, their, their groin area, and the lymph nodes would swell and bulge out of their skin and appear to be like boils. They would call them the plague boils. And your lymph nodes could get so swollen that they would and infected that they would burst through your skin. And of course, if those fluids got on anybody, it would spread the disease. So bodily fluids, anything like that could cause spread of the disease. The next type is the pneumonic version of the Black Death. This is extremely fatal, again, extremely infectious. Within a day or two of you becoming exposed to this strain, you would begin to vomit and cough blood. This particular type had a three-day life expectancy from exposure to death, and survival rate was only about 5%. People who were infected with the pneumonic type had a death rate of 95 to 100%. Almost no one survived. Still not the worst one though. This particular one was airborne and it was the one that was spread most often in the winter. Finally, we have the septicemic version of the Black Death Plague. This would happen when it got directly into your bloodstream from time of showing your first symptoms to starting to feel sick to the time of death was about 14 and a half hours at our best estimate 100 percent fatality no one survived this today if someone came down with a version with this version we would immediately intubate iv antibiotics iv fluids Pressor support, other labs, we'd be monitoring organs and preventing organ failure. We would probably get them on organ transplant lists, things like that. Immediately be doing blood cultures, things like that. But at this time, with no knowledge, with no recourse, what were these highly superstitious and not formally educated populations supposed to think? Especially when the Black Death would hit in wave after wave. And they came from multiple directions. So one would come from the south. It would rip through a town it would leave. There would be a moment of relief. And then another would begin and it would come from the east or the west. Some areas got hit, especially port cities, would get hit over and over and over. And it seemed to be never ending the paris medical school actually determined that one of the causes was or the primary cause was an unusual conjunction of saturn mars and jupiter that occurred at 1 p.m on march 20th of 1345 that this conjunction introduced corrupted air to the atmosphere and that when we breathe this air in it would poison the humors it would get into our spirit and poison the humors at this time medicine was based on the four humors as the basis of medicine and um, i'll break this down in a future episode this led to people fleeing to the countryside so that they could breathe pure air or to the latrine so that they could breathe in the foul air to kill the corrupted air. Some would crush sapphires into their drinks or even drink their urine. There was a chart that was released at one point that told you if your urine was a certain color, you should drink that to help you get rid of the plague or protect you from it. There were fire wards and hot pokers were jabbed into the plague boils to seal them off, which may or may not have helped. And of course, we all know about the plague doctors. These doctors wore long leather robes and gloves to avoid contact with their patients. The beak masks were actually stuffed with herbs that were supposed to counteract the putrid odors and to avoid contracting the disease. They were supposed to be intended to prevent them from getting sick. The glasses that they would wear were at first made of glass, but later made of crystal that was dyed red so that they couldn't see their patients because it was thought that if you looked at a sick person If you made eye contact with them directly, that you would get sick from that. So their glasses would be slightly offset so that they couldn't look directly at their patients and that they would be tinted red so that no one could see their eyes properly. But the doctors who did this, while their methods at the time obviously were not very helpful, they didn't prevent much death. They did help create an atmosphere of questioning old methods, which led to the development of new medicine. And they did help ease some of the suffering so people didn't have to die in pain. But there was still the cause of the whole thing in the first place, which resulted in a lot of religious extremism. There was intense fear and suspicion that surrounded the cause and the spread of the plague. And there was an offshoot of the church that was established in 1348 called the, or the Flagellants. They thought that the plague was God's punishment for all of humanity's evil doing. So they would pilgrimage across continents They would whip themselves to show penance to God for the evils of humanity. And their whips um, were small handheld bits of rope on a handle. And each end of rope had metal barbs and hooks and things stuck into it. So they would whip themselves until their skin was ripped up and bloody. They genuinely were horrible. Horribly punishing themselves. They often marched for their pilgrimages naked or in white robes, sometimes even in hair shirts. And if you don't know what a hair shirt is, well, I'm going to tell you. So, a hair shirt was a shirt made of coarse horse hair or goat hair. It was usually turned inside out. And worn on the fresh wounds of somebody who had just been whipped or who had just whipped themselves as a form of further penance. Can you imagine having your body cut into shreds and then wearing a piece of clothing with hair sticking into every cut on you? That is how far these these people went. Officially, they were rejected by Pope Clement VI, I don't know if you remember that guy, um, as heretics. But they actually ended up spreading the plague as they marched across Europe. So, of course, they're sick, or they've been around sick people, so they're carrying it. And what are they doing when they're ripping their skin off of their bodies with their whips? when they're splattering blood everywhere they're coughing and coughing blood they're they're wounding themselves and they're spreading the disease as they go but of course can't blame the christians so instead they blamed the jewish community because whenever something happens humans love to create a scapegoat So the Jewish community was blamed under the false pretenses that there was a massive worldwide scheme among the Jewish community to poison all of the wells of Europe. Now, let's remember that the plague was hitting like multiple parts of the world, including the areas where the the jewish populations were originating from like north africa and the middle east but the christians kind of didn't care many areas would round up the jewish populations and torture them um, and question them and the pogroms um, that were already underway they had already been happening they increased exponentially um, and the first major one that occurred was in April of 1348 in Toulon, France. And these continued across Europe and they continued well into the early modern period. But this, this specific time, there is a historian, Heinrich Tutris who claimed that within one year from All Saints' Day November 1st of 1348 until Michael Moss, September 29th, 1349, all the Jews between Cologne and Austria were burnt and killed. End quote. That's a lot of people. Half of the Jewish population in Strasbourg is believed to have been burned in a stone house in a cemetery. And a similar event occurred in Brandenburg. As well, Versailles specifically, and in Poland, the King Casimir III uh, both offered protection to the Jewish populations, and Casimir specifically actually forbade any prosecution of them during his reign. Pope Clement released a papal bull in July of 1348, specifically stating that there was no way the Jews were responsible for this because, well, they were getting sick too, but. Again, many Christians across Europe did not care. They didn't listen. They did not believe that the Jews were innocent. If in an area, the Jewish population happened to be less impacted by the plague, which could easily be explained by the fact that they were shunned by the community, they were blamed and killed or driven out, but usually killed. If they were more impacted, they were killed on the premise that the Christians were completing God's work. So, the plague itself was a vehicle for anti Semitism, and a lot of the language that was used during this time to excuse that anti Semitism was later used and weaponized against women as witches. In fact, some of the imagery that we recognize as witches today. The hooked nose, the pointy hat, even the long black robes are specifically related to ways that Jews were portrayed or oppressed throughout history. I highly suggest that before you dress up as a classic witch, that you do some research about the anti-Semitic roots of what the modern day witch trope is actually based in and maybe dress up as a historical figure or a completely made up one instead of wearing a pointy hat and putting on a fake nose or painting your skin green because we don't need to do any of that. Eventually the plague even spread to Scandinavia and some areas up there were completely devastated. There is some source material that tells a tale of a community that was discovered that only had one young girl left. And she had been alone for so long that she had reverted back to hunting animals like wolves and living in the wild. She'd lost her language and all sense of her own sense of humanness because of the horrors she had witnessed. But in 1353, right on schedule, the plague began to move back into Russia and towards the Eurasian steep where it likely originated and it left Europe and the Western parts of Asia in the Middle East and Africa for good. There is a quote, it has been attributed to William Yeats, but we're not sure if he is the original originator of that, but it goes like this. The veneer of civilization is only skin deep. And some of the stories that I've shared with you today really demonstrate that. Sometimes there is no one group of people who is responsible. Sometimes nature has her own methods of resolving issues, things that are happening in the world. And it is not up to us to understand. Despite the devastation and the horrible events that occurred during the Black Plague, it did mark the beginning of the end of the medieval period, the creation of new forms of labor and economy, and it set the stage for modern medicine and science to begin to develop. But it also created an atmosphere of uncertainty surrounding faith and the practice of piety. And we'll get into that a little bit more in a few weeks. But for now, you can find me over on Facebook at facebook.com slash the witchy historian or you can search the witchy historian pod listeners. You can find me on Instagram at witchy on tiktok at the witchy historian. You can email me at the witchy at gmail.com. You can also find me on Patreon at patreon.com slash the wishy historian and please please if you like the show and you want to support me and it's within your means to do so go ahead and sign up for a tier I'm getting stuff rolling it's going to be a great fun time there's only a couple of you right now so if you if you can that'd be great and if you can't or if you have a business that you'd like to advertise you can also go to podbean.com slash the witchy historian ad space. I think that's correct. Or you can just find me on podbean.com at the witchy historian. And there should be a button that says ad space or advertise on this podcast. And you can advertise on my podcast if you'd like to. I would love that. That would be great. here to support you just as much as you are here supporting me i will be back with any luck on october 20th and our next episode is a witchy episode again back to basics and we are going to be talking about meditation in the meantime i hope you all have a wonderful weekend rest of your week Again, happy Indigenous Peoples Day. Not Columbus Day because fuck that asshole. Punch him in the face. We don't like bigots and racists around here. Happy Indigenous Peoples Day. Wear orange. Honor um, missing and murdered um, Indigenous women and girls, please. Thank you. Um, Get involved with that movement if you can. And um, yeah. We're going to be gearing up for Samhain pretty quick. So I'm going to try and throw something in on the next episode about Samhain. So I hope, hope y'all tune in for that. Okay. I'm, I'm out of here. It is 930 at night and I'm tired, but I love you. I love you all. I'm going to go edit this and, uh, we'll see y'all. See y'all on the other side. Bye. (music)